Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists, editorial board members, and columnists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by staff writer Scott Hodelston. He joins the show to talk about the fallout of Nelson Wolf's decision to not run for another term of county judge. Welcome back to the show, Scott. It's been a while. How are you doing today? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Luis. Good to speak with you. So this story kind of started back in October during the 2021 State of the County Address, where uh, County Judge Nelson Wolf said he would not be running for another term. What was the initial fallout from that announcement? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, I I had a different perspective on that announcement because, um, I, I you know, he had said initially back in prior to 2018 when he last ran that this would be his last term if he was reelected. So it wasn't um, a huge surprise when he announced that. But um, it basically reconfirmed what he had said all along. And I think that um, amid all the chaos with the pandemic and him playing such a crucial role in all of that, that people might have forgotten that this was going to be his last term. But um, I don't think that there was really any doubt that this was was going to be his last term. He, he'll turn 82 next uh, this year. And um, and so, you know, he just feels that it, it's his time. And and so it would have been a surprise if he had decided to, to run for another term. Um, but what th- that decision resulted in was kind of, uh, you know, opening the floodgates of, of various politicians considering a run for that office, including former Mayor Ed Garza, who ultimately decided not to run. Uh, but we have... Uh, Former Judge uh, Peter Sakai, who retired from his bench to run for that seat, and um, also State Representative Ina Minjares and uh, Mayoral Advisor Ivelisse Meza Gonzalez on the Democratic side. But the real surprise was uh, December 13th, about 30 minutes before the filing deadline for the primaries on the Republican side, Trish DeBerry, who was um, last in 20, I'm sorry, 2020, she was elected county commissioner for precinct three uh, and decided at the very last minute and and filed uh, on that last day uh, to run for county judge. That was a, that was kind of a bombshell announcement. I I think uh, there was no advance notice. uh, Was there? Right. And, um, uh, Metro columnist Gilbert Garcia has called that the political surprise of 2021, and I think that it certainly was. Um, but so, you know, that her decision to do that opened up, um, you know, two two issues that had to be resolved. You know, how do you fill that precinct three seat in the short term? 
and um, how do you feel it in the long term? Because her announcing to run immediately triggered her to vacate her seat. Is that correct? Right. There is a, a resign to run rule in Texas. And as soon as you announce that you're running for another position, you have to resign the seat that you're currently occupying. So, um, you know, it was immediately up to the judge, Judge Wolf, to decide, you know, how to fill that vacant seat in the short term. And initially, he said that um, she could hold over for 60 days and and finish uh, work on some of the things that she had, um, you know, been been working on. But um, I think that the judge was under some political pressure because um, as long as she continued to sit on the dais, then she has basically the, the political power of incumbency. If she's running for county judge and she's, you know, appearing at the meetings and um, which are, you know, live streamed to the public and, you know, making decisions and, and that kind of thing, then um, it some would argue that it would give her a political advantage. And so he, uh, right before Christmas, he came back and said that he was going to accelerate the process and seek applications to fill her seat for the short term through New Year's Eve and, um, and have an appointment made by January. And that is what he did this week by naming former Fourth Court of Appeals Justice Maria Lynn Bernard to fill that seat through the rest of 2022. And, and then um, what happens after that remains to be seen. But we know that the newly appointed commissioner, Bernard, does intend um, to run if she's selected by the Republican uh, committee that, that will make that nomination. Now, do you think you could talk to the listeners about who Trish DeBerry is and why it was such a... Um... Why it was such a big moment? She, um, her background was in um, broadcasting as a journalist. She was at Ken's TV and then um, went into public relations um, and became a very influential figure in, uh, you know, contracts, public contracts with, um, you know, San Antonio Water System in the city and other public entities. And she ran for mayor. Um, I think about mm, 10, 15 years ago, um, lost to uh, Julian Castro, but um, she's definitely, you know, someone of political influence in the community. And uh, she uh, ran in a large field of candidates for precinct three commissioner, um, made it to the runoff with Tom Rickoff and, um, and, and beat Rickoff in the runoff. So, um, she had served for less than a full year of her four-year term and um, suddenly decided to, to, to run for county judge. I was going to ask about Trish specifically because it seems like she's the biggest name in politics in San Antonio right now, with, you know, with the exception of obvious others. But one of the reasons that Mayor, uh, the county judge Nelson Wolf mentioned he wanted to not run was to give adequate time for candidates to appear in the primaries. Right. Uh, who, what other candidates do you see popping up that could challenge someone with a name like Trish DeBerry? Well, um, Judge Sakai is known as an advocate for 
uh, children and um, victims of domestic violence. Uh, Representative Minjares has has been an advocate for improvements in the uh, foster care system. Um, so I think that that they are the two primary uh, heavy hitters on the Democratic side. But um, it, you know, in some ways, I'm I'm glad that there's a formidable Republican candidate because you know, as a journalist, you you want to have a robust discussion of the issues facing county government. And, um, you know, it would have been a kind of a shame had it been just, you know, the Democratic uh, candidate who won the primary in March, you know, having a cakewalk to the, the county judge's seat. But now, you know, with Trish uh, DeBerry running as a Republican, um, what we're assured of is that there's going to be a very robust discussion on those issues. And uh, we know that she does, she goes heavy on the social media presence and the advertising. And so she will be um, very formidable. Um, it, you know, there are a lot of people who might question whether a Republican w can win a countywide office uh, for county judge, but um, she might be one of the few who could do that. Well, this is going to be like an ongoing thing. I'm probably going to have you on the show to talk about it some more as the year continues. Yeah, I think that it's really important to um, to note that what the judge did in appointing um, Maria Lynn Bernard to that seat was it kind of, um, you know, it sh it's, it's a move that should please everybody, including uh, DeBerry, because, you know, when she... When you're running for public office, you don't want to give the impression that you're somebody who makes a decision that has unforeseen consequences. And initially, there was some confusion about how her seat would be filled in the long term. And um, I think that by appointing her, by appointing Bernard as as her short term replacement, the judge kind of you know calmed that situation down, and we now know that. Um, the long-term replacement will be determined through a process uh, whereby, you know, the parties, both parties, Democratic and Republican, those committees will appoint a nominee. And of course, we have Reed Williams, who's running as an independent. So he's already getting his name out. Uh, the last thing I really wanted to talk about was you know, your latest article on the Alamo Project. It's something that we talked about last year a couple times. Right. And uh, yeah, just give us an update on what the project has been going through and and what the reset has done for it. Well, I think that the reset kind of struck a paradigm shift in the way that the whole project is being approached, because um, rather than pursuing an idealized vision of what the project should be, um, the new leadership is brokering compromise and trying to pursue the path of least paths of least resistance in um, in moving forward. And that includes, you know, preserving uh, the buildings on the west side of the plaza to um, incorporate them into the design of the new museum. Um, they've abandoned the idea of adding a northbound traffic lane to La Soya Street, which really was getting a lot of heavy pushback uh, from the business owners. 
And so um, they also, as a result of the of the uh, Texas Historical Commission's ruling on moving the cenotaph, will not be moving the cenotaph, but will repair it and keep it uh, where it is. So I think that um, all of those kinds of things have really allowed the project to get back on track. They unveiled uh, a, a replication of the 1836 Palisade of the Alamo Fort in December, and they're going to uh, open an archaeological exhibit in the Long Barrack early this year. And toward the end of the year, they are expected to complete an, an exhibit and collections building on the Alamo grounds. So it looks like it's really um, moving forward nicely after a, a whole lot of um, push pushback and controversy in the previous years. Was that due to mostly politics? Yeah, um, partly. Um, the feuding between, um, you know, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and um, George P. Bush, the land commissioner. But, but, you know, the same day, ironically, that Mayor Ron Nirenberg announced the reset and appointment of, of new leaders on the city side of the project, um, Bush and Patrick uh told reporters that they had basically reached a truce. So oh, wow. I think that once the issue of moving the cenotaph was was resolved with a firm decision by the historical commission, everything kind of came together after that. And and Luis, I know that there's, as my story mentioned, there's sure to be more controversies and more debates, but that's just a necessary part of the process. You know, this is, we have a complicated history here in Texas. And, um, there, you know, it's not, it's not a fairy tale and there, there are some hard issues that we have to, to talk about if we want to be honest. But, um, I think that for the most part, you know, people are working together, um, agreeing to disagree in some, some cases and reaching compromises in, in other cases. So, um, I think that it's going to move forward and hopefully be something that can really be, uh, a lot of people are hoping that it'll it'll be a source of cultural healing and um, and just learning and and uh, having a place where there's an accumulation of really uh, good sourcing, good knowledge that uh, we can all share together. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. I really appreciate all your insight and your knowledge on all of these topics. Thanks again, Scott. It's my pleasure. 